experience heartache. We all know pain. But in the midst of our suffering, amid life's chaos, we seek hope in God. We are chasing daylight. Hey, Cornerstone. Are you guys really already on your iPhone watching the game? Is that what's going on? In the, I, one more hour. There you go. Thank you. All right. So I'll be in the back. Um, no, uh, just want to do a big shout out as we get started for our, our Scottsdale and our Santan campuses. Man, there's some momentum going on at both those campuses. So thrilled for what God's doing uh, there. And they were changing communities for God. And uh, just proud of that going on. So I guess you guys have already figured out. We've got a big game happening today, Cowboys and uh, Cardinals. Could we just stop a moment and pray for the Cardinals? No, no. I'm teasing. All right, all right, all right. Moment of total transparency and honesty, okay? This, this, is, this is on your integrity. How many of you took candy out of your kids' bags without asking? Which would be stealing, right? That's, okay, all right, just... It's at least, at least we were honest about it. Okay, we're beginning a brand new series. It's called Chasing Daylight. Here's, here's the discussion we're going to have the next couple of weeks. And it's really a discussion about suffering. Woo! <laughs> you love it, right? But, but, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and, and my hope is, my hope is there's nobody in this room suffering right now. My hope is that your life's going good, everything's great, because that would be the perfect time to have this conversation. Because you don't want to be in the middle of life falling apart. You don't want to be in the midst of God seemingly being just horribly unfair and bad guys winning and good guys losing. And in that moment, try to figure out what you believe about God. In the midst of suffering. Some Christian will come walking up to you and they'll go, all things work for the good to them that love God. And you'll punch them in the face. I just, you don't want to be in the middle of this. Trying to figure it out. Not too long back, I watched a family in our church go through just untold darkness. Untold unfairness. And she was at a pretty significant place in her faith journey and her walk with Jesus he wasn't. It was interesting to watch that as they navigated that moment of real darkness, that she lands on her feet, he's completely blown out of the water. Because I'm just telling you, whatever you've got in the toolbox when you face suffering is what you'll have to work with. You want to know this before it happens. And so I'm just going to encourage you to take copious notes. You're going you're to want to let this sink into the depths of who you are because look, look, I know, I know, I know. I know you're planning on the rest of your life going perfect (laughs) and that there's never going to be another moment, but I'm I'm just here. There's going to be a moment 
There's going to be a moment you're going to need the conversations that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have some amazing stories. You're going to need the stories that we're going to tell over the next couple of weeks when that moment comes. Because it'll change how you live that moment, how that goes. Some of us in this room, you're up to your eyeballs. You're up to your eyeballs in wrongness and unfairness and, and your heart is aching. And you're going, where's God? How could he let this? I'm just going to apologize going in. Because there's a whole bunch of what we're going to say to each other that because you're in the middle of it, it's going to sound like Bible speak. It's going to sound, it's going to sound like we're giving overly simplified answers to something that's horribly complex and dark. And here's what I'm just going to have to ask you to do because you're in the middle of it. Could you do your very best to take whatever the circumstances are that you're facing, set them to the side as best you can during the conversation and just process is what we're saying together true? Is it possible? Is it possible that, that what we're, what we're pushing into each other's lives maybe is accurate? And once you let that kind of sink in, that then you would come back and bring your circumstances to the conversation. Because if you can't do that, then this is just going to make no sense to you. So here we go. Next four weeks together, what do you do in the darkest, worst, most unfair moments of your life? What What is that about? Why would God allow that? Why does that happen to Christians? Because you're supposed to come to Jesus and everything goes good after that, right? How does, what's going on in those moments? There's an amazing, 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 amazing passage in the book of Jeremiah that I think shoves you and me in the right direction. It starts this conversation and recalibrates our thinking about wrongness and unfairness and suffering in our lives and has the potential to completely change our outlook on this topic. So here we go. Grab your Bibles real quick. We're going to go there. It's Jeremiah chapter 12. If you're not familiar... Uh, if you'll take your Bibles, open them up kind of to the middle, chances are you're going to find the book of Psalms if you do that, or the book of Proverbs, go to the right. If you get to the book of Isaiah, slow down a little bit, Jeremiah's coming up. If you get to the book of Ezekiel, stop and come back. Jeremiah chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And you just need to know that the guy who's writing this, a guy by the name of Jeremiah, has gone through untold suffering. You want to talk about an unfair life. You want to talk about people trying to kill him. You want to talk about a prophet who God stuck out there and allowed to be just totally abused. And here's what he writes in the midst of the struggle. You ready? It's Jeremiah chapter 12. And this is actually God's answer to Jeremiah when Jeremiah says, God, why is my life so unfair? Why did you allow this to happen? And here's what he says. Jeremiah chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Here's God's answer. You ready? If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how will you compete with horses? What? Let me me read that again. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how will you compete with horses? And if you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? I'm a fairly young youth pastor, and I kind of struggled through a lot of my earlier parts of ministry. I end up hired at a church in Scottsdale. 
And I'm, I'm Scottsdale, so there's a little bit of status that goes along with that. When I get there, the youth group's about 40 kids. It goes to about 80 kids pretty quick. The kids are growing up. Kids are going into ministry. Kids are going on to long-term mission-type trips. I, within the denomination that that church was a part of, we were one of the largest, most prestigious churches. Our youth group was one of the strongest youth groups in that church. Things are good. Things are good. We ended up going through a pastoral transition. The new pastor, the new senior pastor who comes in to that church has friends back where he came from. He decides he wants his friends on staff in place of the people who are currently on staff. Doesn't matter how good we're doing, doesn't matter how the ministry's going, he wants his friends. He fired me. Can you imagine? He fired me. God and I had some conversations. See, I'm, I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. How does this work, God? I don't get this. I'm serving you. I'm doing the right thing. I'm praying every day. I'm doing ministry as a vocation. Things are thriving. Kids' lives are being changed. Kids are going to ministry and the mission... I'm doing everything right. How can this possibly? Why would, why would, why would you allow something so unfair, so wrong? I, I haven't done anything wrong. How would you let something so wrong come into my life? And I, I'm just going to tell you. I know you wouldn't do this, but I, I got kind of angry with God. See, I'm sitting in that moment going, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. If I can follow you, if I can do what I'm supposed to do, and then wrongness can happen, I'm not sure following you is all it's cooked up to be. If I was being totally honest, I was frustrated with God because he was messing me up. He was messing up my nest. He was taking safety and prestige and comfort away. And I'm going, look, you know, I mean, why would you do that? If you pursue safety and comfort, if you measure God... By whether or not he lets you live your life from the comfort of a couch and everything go good, you will spend your entire Christian life fighting with God. Here's why. God doesn't give a rip about safety and comfort. And if every time he takes it away, if every time he messes up your nest, if every time he makes life a little uncomfortable, you're going to decide that God has failed, then you and God are going to be in a lifelong argument. Because he doesn't care about safety and comfort. Here's what he cares about. That you be like Jesus. That's his value. He is willing to do whatever it takes in your life, including pain, including unfairness. To make you look like his son. And here's what, I'm just, here's what I'm thinking. You ready for this? I'm thinking that looking like Jesus, if you were Jesus, involved crosses and nails. So if God is going to make you look like Jesus, I've got a feeling that somewhere in the conversation are going to be crosses and nails. 
But this is hard for us, right? Because here's the deal. We tend to measure the goodness of God by how humanly successful and how humanly comfortable we are. And so here's what we do. We, we get moving along in our lives and we're going, hey, this is good. I mean, the paycheck's looking good. The house is looking good. The kids are healthy. Everything's going. I feel darn comfortable. And this is the direction we're going in our lives. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. You being comfortable has nothing to do with you being mature. And I need you to head this way, which is actually, ready, a harder way to look like my son. See, following me, ready for this? Following me may mean turning your back on comfort. It may mean taking a couple steps back in your life. It may mean some things you have you don't have anymore. Some things you achieved you haven't achieved anymore in order for you to take some steps forward. If you spend your life chasing, ready, safety and comfort, you will miss what God is doing in your life because it's over here being like Jesus. Here's what I didn't get. I didn't get that God was saying to a young man, sometimes, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to follow me forwards. Sometimes you have to lose a little bit of status. You lose a little bit of comfort to follow me. It was as if God was whispering in my ears. You ready? If you can't do this, if this is too hard and this is too big, and if you're going to give up on me right now, if you can't run with footmen, Lynn, how will you ever run with horses? If this is too hard, if this is too, if you can't run with footmen, how will you ever run with horses? So I'm looking for a job. I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, this is a perfect time for God to show up. Okay, so here's what, you know, I get, I, I, I get it. You know, bad things happen and then God fixes it, right? I mean, you go through a dark time and then God redeems it. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. This would be a great time for God to like take me to a mega church. This would be a great time for me to get this amazing assignment in my life so that everybody at the Scottsdale church would go, oh no, how did we let that guy go? Look what God has done. He's promoted him. The only church I could get to hire me was a crummy, crummy little church in Yucaipa, California. No, 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 no. I say that with love. It was a crummy church. They, they would even admit it. They, they, would, they would tell you the same thing. They had just gone through a horrible church split. They had these big old buildings, and because over half the church had left, there's this little teeny congregation bouncing off the walls. They couldn't fix anything because they didn't have any money. They couldn't keep anything clean. So I go from the church in Scottsdale, one of the 
highest regarded, biggest status churches in our entire denomination. I go to this little crummy church in Yucatan. You ready? How many came? You want to know how many kids there were the first time I showed up? Five. Five. I'm just saying this does not feel like a promotion. Just saying. Doesn't feel like I'm being redeemed. So I call this the second season. Because here's what we do. See, we, we get to this moment, we go, okay, God, something bad happened, but now it's time for you to fix it. See, it's time for you to show up and everybody sees that you're blessing me. And can I just say to you, you need to prepare your heart. You need to know this before it happens. That more often than not, it gets worse. That whatever happened on the first pass has a tendency to get even darker on the second. Five kids in the youth group. I end up, they, they give me the youth room. The youth room is the old auditorium. So there's a slanted floor that, the, you know, we used to have pews on it. They carpet it somewhere in between, put all these folding chairs. Now all the folding chairs have pushed the carpet down. The carpet is all the way pushed to the front in waves. The stained glass windows, which were ugly as sin. The kids have been playing volleyball in there. They get all busted out. They decided to fix the stained glass windows by putting pieces of cardboard over the top of them. The cardboard has been there so long that they actually has paint marks from where they repainted the room 12 years ago. Scottsdale, Yakaipa. What do you do when God's already been unfair and allowed darkness and disappointment to come into your life and now he allows it to get worse? Grab your Bibles. James chapter 1. And if if you uh, aren't familiar, if you just go to the right, you'll get to James. If you closed your Bibles, uh, because of course you brought them, right? If you closed your Bibles, you're going to go to the left. James chapter 1, go to the back, go to the left. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, here's what it says. Ready for this? You'll love this one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Is that the stupidest verse in the Bible? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And you get, you get, you get that hardship, hardship is a tri- is a temptation in your life because in that moment you and I are going to go, hey God, what's up? And if following you looks like this, then count me out. He says, in that moment, when life stinks, count it pure joy. And guys, 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 here's what you got to get. He is not saying to you and me, be joyful. He's not saying, woohoo, my life stinks! Yay! It's not what he's saying. He's saying, decide what you believe about God. Do you believe that God wastes pain? Do you believe that God ever frivolously allows tears? And if not, if not, then whatever this is, 
as bad as it feels, as horrible as it feels, as dark as it feels, if you believe that God does not waste pain, then He must be doing something good. So decide. Tell your heart that is angry right now. Tell your heart that is fearful right now. Tell your heart that wants to shake its fist at God and say, God, what in the hay are you doing? Tell your heart to be quiet and take that thing and put it in the good box. Even though you don't know how it can be good. I had no idea when God took me to crummy little Yukaipa that the best days of my youth ministry were going to happen in that worn out, cruddy little church. That that youth group was going to explode. That literally, ready for this? The high school was going to call our church office and say, give us the student ministry's calendar because we can't plan anything at the high school on the same day you're doing something at church because the kids will all come to the church and not come to the high school event. That we were going to have moments where we literally, the gospel of Jesus would sweep across that high school. I had no idea when I walked into those five kids and the broken out windows. And James is saying, when your heart says, God has messed me over and God is screwing up and this is bad. Tell your heart, I don't believe that. I choose to place this in the good box because my God does not waste pain and my God doesn't cause frivolous tears. And I don't know how this turns out. You ready? I simply know that God does some of his best work in the midst of pain. He teaches me things I would have never learned. He takes me places I would have never gone. And if God has to choose between my comfort and growing, and if growing means pain, then in absolute love, God will bring me pain. So I choose to put this in the good box. Matter of fact, the rest of the passage in James says exactly that. You ready for this? Consider it pure joys. Put it in the good box, guys. Whenever God, you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, this crummy moment, develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God does some of his best work in the midst of our hurt. And God was saying to a young man, Lynn, you don't need great buildings. You don't need fresh paint jobs to see a work of God. See, you you believe that your room somehow was going to make ministry work. Your room doesn't make ministry work. I make ministry work. See, Lynn, you, you thought you thought you needed a huge youth group to change the city. You didn't need a huge youth group. I can start with almost no one and do something remarkable. It's as if God was saying to me. You ready? Lynn, if you're struggling with footmen, how are you ever going to run with horses? If this is too big, if this is too hard, what are you going to do when I take you?
So now I'm supposed to tell you that it all turned out okay. I'm supposed to tell you, man, it was, it, it just, you know, everything came up roses. It was all good from there on out. And I go, well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there was wonderful success. There was really, really cool stuff happening. I already told you the high school is being rocked by our student ministries. We grew a huge youth group in the process. What I didn't tell you is, is that when I took the crummy job, they paid me crummy. They, they started me, ready for this, $24,000 a year to live in Southern California. Just process that for a moment. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the church going forward, in the midst of the church having huge momentum, in the midst of, of everything just being up and to the right of it, I got, over the course of eight years, I think three tiny incremental rates. By the time I got done, I think I was earning 28, 29, I was going to call it 30,000. 30,000 Southern California. Leases and my electricity was turned off three times. Three times we're in the middle of ministry, everything going good, everything going forward, and we're sitting in our home in the dark because Joshua had a cavity and we can't pay our electric bill now. And I go to the elders, I go, look, you know, I, I, I think we're doing good. I think everything's going forward. Look, you got to pay me more. You, you've got to. This, I, I mean, I'm suffering to do great ministry. Guess what their answer was? They sent an elder to review my finances to make sure I wasn't wasting any of the 30000 they were giving me. Boy, I accepted that with real joy. I mean, you know, stop and think about it. This is pretty humiliating. And I mean, look, you know, I mean, someone's going to go, hey, why did you really have to buy that soda? Why? And so sure enough, here comes, here comes the elder and I pull out all of my finances and just humility. And he looks at it and he, and he actually comes back at the end and he goes, Lynn, I, I can't see one place. I can't see one place that you're being uh, frivolous in what you're doing. So here's what I'm thinking. He's going to go back to the elder board and tell him, we got to pay this guy more. He's being prudent with his money. All 30,000 of it. Guess what he said to me? I think what you need to do is sell your home and live in an apartment. No ray. Sell your home. Don't have any equity. Live in an apartment. That was my answer. Anybody ever heard the phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn? And I thought, crumb. So even, even when you go through hard times, even when it begins to go the right, and then it can still go dark. What do you do? What do you do in a moment when you feel like you've already run all the laps you can run and already done everything you think you can do and God reaches over and turns the heat up a couple more notches? What do you do in that moment? What do you do when you go, man, I am so tired of this and I am so worn out on this and I'm just telling you, God, if you don't, if you don't show me daylight pretty soon and instead... The heat gets hotter. You realize when God does that, 
it's actually kind of a backhanded compliment. It's actually, it's actually a moment in which God is saying, I can trust you even when this gets tougher to do the right thing. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one more time. It's 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And again, if you've closed your Bible, go to the back and work to the left. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 13. Let me read this to you. Okay, You probably have never thought about this this way. Here it is. Here's what it says. There is no temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. And God's going to go read. You get the dark moments, unfair moments, suffering moments are tempting moments. Because in that moment, you and I are going, okay, God, you're doing this wrong. If this is how you're going to treat me, I think I'm going to walk away. This may be one of the biggest tempting moments. It says, there is no temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear, but will, when you are tempted, will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So think about this, guys. Ready for this? There's a sense in which God, when he gives you the assignment, when he allows something to come into your life that's really, really, really hard, that God is actually, in some ways, giving you a compliment. You're going, okay, I don't get it. All right, let me see if I can help. God just said, hey, look, I will not allow anything to come into your life that in that moment, based on where you are in maturity, based on what you've learned and where you've grown in your life, and with my help that you can't stand up in that moment, right? This is a moment you nod your head. You go, Lynn, you're right. That's what the Bible says. It's exactly on. All right. If that's true, if in your spiritual journey, if in your process of growing up into Christ, you've gotten to like a level three out of a level 10, but you're a level three Christian at that moment. God just promised you something. He said, if you're a level three Christian, I will only bring you level three. That is so cool. Last hour, I got that so wrong. You guys are good. I'll only bring you level three problems. He says, look, if you're a level three Christian, if that's how far you are in your maturity and walk, I'm only going to bring you, ready, threes and twos and ones. I will never, 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 never bring you a four. I will never bring into your life something that you are not ready to bear up underneath with my help. Which means, think about this for a second. If God brings you a level seven problem, what did God just say about your spiritual maturity? And progress in the Lord. He's saying at the very least, you are a level seven. Which in some, I think about this. He's saying to you in that moment, look, 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 look. I'm getting ready to bring something and look, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know it's crummy and I know it's hard, but here's what's going to happen. People around you are going to see you live this crummy, hard moment. And they're going to look and say, I could never do that. I could never live that moment as well as you're living it. And if I brought you a level seven problem, it's because I know I can trust you with it. That in this moment, you can live this well 
And people far from me will be stunned at what you just did with my strength. It's kind of a compliment. So think about it. What would God be saying when he brings a level 10? He'd be saying you're the best of the best. I'm bringing a moment in your life that not only is going to change you, but people around you will be stunned when you live that well. It was as if God was saying to me, Hey, Lynn, your success isn't measured by a paycheck. As long as you got me, you don't need much else. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> some of you are going, whoa, 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 Lynn, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that if I'm a level three Christian, God's only going to bring me level three problems. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to spend the rest of my life being a level three Christian. Because <laughs> then, you ready? God will only bring me level three problems. <laughs> You're wrong. Level three is terrifying. Level three doesn't know what it doesn't know yet. Let me see if this helps. Remember when you were a kid learning to ride a bike? And remember that moment they took the training wheels off and now mom or dad is running behind you, kind of holding the seat. Because <laughs> I'm just telling you, that is terrifying. It feels like you're a mile high on that seat. You look down at the asphalt. The asphalt looks like it's shards of glass. Every move you make just feels like you're out of control. Level three Christian. It's terrifying to be a level three Christian. Think X Games. X Games. Guys on bikes going down crazy ramps, hitting, hit the air, double flips, landed, gold medal. You realize X Games guys think that ramp is an opportunity. Nothing terrifying about it at all. And I'm just telling you, level 10 Christians, when you've done this enough times with God, when you've gone through this and said, no, 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 I'm going to put what seems bad in the good box. No, 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 I'm going to trust that God doesn't waste. Level 10, man, what you and I used to call problems, you're winning gold medals. And God said to a young Pastor, Lynn, it's not the size of your paycheck that defines your success. It's not, it's not whether or not your lights are on at night that defines whether or not I'm good. It's whether or not you're walking this with me. If you can't run with footmen, Lynn, how will you ever run with horses? I get to this moment within my career, if you can call that for a pastor, my career when the churches you want to call are calling, I have all these opportunities, I'm thinking, hey, I could go work at that church finally, 
And in the midst of it, God won't give me peace. In the midst of going to interviews at huge, massive churches with huge youth groups. And now I'm going, okay, God, so this is the time. This is the time for you to redeem and to show up and to do all this stuff. And as I get ready and we have the, I can't have peace. And some guy sits me down over a cup of coffee and says, I think you ought to go plant a church. And I go, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. I mean, think about this. Think about how far I've come and how much has gone in my life. Do you realize planting a church, that'd be like going backwards, wouldn't it? That'd be like, I've finally gotten to a place of safety and comfort, and I'd be going backwards to plant a church. There's no people when you plant a church. That's what a church plant is by definition. No one's there yet. And talk about, you know, I'm I'm here in Yakaipa at crummy facilities, but church plants have no facilities. And my salary may be bad, but I've got a feeling that church planters have worse salaries. Why would I ever do that? And as I drove away from the conversation, God whispered in my ear, Lynn, you already have. You've already contended with the footmen. It's time to run with the horses. That church plant, Cornerstone. Cornerstone. That God would take a little struggling youth pastor who was living through horrible unfairness and all through the unfairness never saw the redemptive work of Christ. That God constantly said to my heart, be patient, be patient, I'm teaching you to run with footmen. Because I'm going to take you to run with horses. You got to know that. You got to know that before the problems come. You got to believe that when life gets dark. If you fail to run with horsemen, I mean with footmen, how will you run with the horsemen? Some of us right now, you're in the, you are in the midst of it. You're, the job is going wrong. Your marriage is struggling. The health report came back on your kid and it's devastating. Run with the footman. So God can take you to run with the horseman. Let's bow our heads. God, we're, we're getting a whole new perspective on this suffering thing. See, we thought, we thought following Jesus meant comfort and safety and life turned out good. And we're learning. Following Jesus has crosses and nails. But it's also got incredible, incredible moments where you take the lessons we've learned. You take the struggles that we've gone through. You take the moments we contended with the footmen and turn them in the opportunity to run with the horses. And God, I'm just asking, I'm asking for some of us that are in this room right now that the fight with the footmen just feels overwhelming. Reassure our hearts. Remind us that you're doing something amazing, that you never waste pain, that you never give away tears. Help us to put it in the good box. God, help us 
to contend with the footman. That we would be ready to one day run with horses. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.